today we'll be talking about the Medicine Daily Update oral presentation. And um, my name is Debbie Chen. I'm a fourth-year medical student at the UC Davis School of Medicine. And I'm Paul Aronowitz. I'm a health sciences clinical professor of medicine here at UC Davis School of Medicine. And I'm also the clerkship director of the Internal Medicine Clerkship. All right, so jumping straight in, let's talk about the purpose of a daily update oral presentation. Well, the purpose is really to update the team on how your patient is doing and develop a plan for that day. And the context in which you'll be doing these oral presentations are that with some attendings and some teams, you'll actually be at the bedside. For example, when I'm your attending, I will always have you at the bedside presenting. Uh, and in some situations, you may be doing so-called table rounding in a conference room. And this all really depends on who your attending is and the circumstances, how many other patients your team has for that day. Um, but when possible, you should try and clarify what the expectations are for these daily update presentations um, with your attending or your resident to make sure that you're presenting them in the way they expect and always asking for feedback uh, periodically to make sure you're on the mark with these presentations because they are very important. Right. And just some general things to keep in mind. The daily update presentation will be more focused than your HMP presentation. We'll highlight the differences between the two throughout this podcast. And the timing should be under five minutes. And you should stick to what we call the ISOAP format. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. So the way these should begin is that uh, as you enter the room, if it's a bedside presentation, you'll do your usual saying good morning to the patient. You've presumably already seen them for that day. But then you'll turn to the rest of the team, or if you're in the conference room, you'll look at the rest of the team, and you'll give an opening one-liner. Now, whether to include the opening one-liner or not somewhat depends on who you're attending is and what their preference is. But usually, if you just dive into it, they're not going to have a problem with it. Because for me, when we have 15 other patients to see, it truly does help me focus on what patient we're talking about and what their active problems are and reasons for hospitalization. And I'm sure that if it helps me, it helps the rest of the team, including the intern that's not involved with that patient's care, helps focus the resident, and also helps your co-students so they'll know what patient you're talking about. So an example of this would be, this is Mr. Smith, our 55-year-old man with a history of peptic ulcer disease and atrial fibrillation who presented with an upper GI bleed two days ago. All right, so, and after your opening one-liner, we have the interval events, and so this would be the I part of the ISOAP format. And interval events contain events that occurred in the last 24 hours that are relevant to the patient's reason for continued hospitalization, or you can include any acute events that reflect a change in clinical status. So example would be, Yesterday, uh, he received an upper endoscopy and was found to have one bleeding ulcer at the gastroduodenal junction, which he received thermal coagulation treatment for. There were no acute overnight events. So the key is to keep it pertinent to the reason for the patient's continued hospitalization. If, for example, the patient was seen by social work or worked with PT yesterday, you don't need to mention these things unless there are things that are keeping her in the hospital. 
And I should just underline what Debbie just said because it drives me a little cuckoo at the bedside when a student starts presenting all the things that happened, that they ate their dinner and a physical therapist saw them and occupational therapy came by. Those are not really what we're talking about here in terms of important interval events. And this report of the interval event should not be more than one sentence. Um, so an example of this might be patient went into atrial fibrillation with rapid ventricular response with heart rate in the 150s. Another example might be the patient had two large bloody stools overnight and was transfused two units of packed red blood cells. Um, and if there were no events or no changes overnight, just say no acute interval events or no acute overnight events, whichever you like the sound of better. Okay, so now we are, we'll move on to the subjective. And so this is when um, you'll talk to the patient when you're pre-rounding and in the subjective part of your presentation, just report how he or she is feeling. So an example of this would be, Mr. Smith feels well and has not had any additional episodes of hematemesis or melana. He had no complaints this morning and has been able to ambulate around the unit without difficulty. Usually this is a pretty quick section relative to the subjective section of the H&P. And remember in the daily update, subjective, you don't include any history. Just update everyone on how the patient is doing today. The next section is the objective section. And I, again, encourage you to make sure you do not put anything else but objective information in here. So we'd start with the vital signs. And for this, this may sound like a pet peeve of mine, but you'll, there's method in my madness. Avoid presenting ranges. In other words, don't say the systolic blood pressure has ranged from 180 to 210 over 66 to 94. And the reason for that is it's very hard to process that piece of information. Instead, you should give the most recent set of vital signs. So in other words, blood pressure is 180 over 60, pulse 84, respiratory rate 16, O2 saturation 96% on room air, um, and then the, the most recent temperature. Now, if the patient spiked a fever overnight, what you want to do is report that as Tmax 39.4, whatever it was, and what the current temperature is. So you'd say Tmax 39.4 with a current temperature of 37.1. Um, also, when you're reporting the O2 saturation, you should specify whether it was on room air or on supplemental oxygen, as a lot of our patients do require oxygen when they're in the hospital. So in other words, if the O2 saturation is 94%, on oxygen, you would report that as patient is an O2 saturation of 94% on two liters nasal cannula, or 94% on room air if they're not on oxygen. You get the general drift of that. Great. Next, we have the physical exam. This should really be a focused part of your presentation. Just highlight any changes from the day before. And so if you remember from the Agent P presentation podcast, we had mentioned that you would do a full run through of the entire physical exam, even if everything's normal. In the daily update presentation, you want to just present things that are changes from the day before. And um, generally, you also want to present any exam findings for any problem that is keeping the patient in the hospital. So for example, if the patient is being treated for cellulitis, present what you found on skin exam every day. 
So we have an example here of how to present a daily update physical exam. No changes on cardiac and abdominal physical exam. He had new inspiratory crackles in the left posterior inferior lung field on pulmonary exam, and the rash on his left lateral thigh has decreased erythema, warmth, and induration, and is no longer tender to touch. The next section of the objective portion of SOAP is the labs. Um, and again, similar to the HNP, you really only want to present the pertinent values that make a difference in that patient's care for the day. And also do not interpret the values during this. Again, it is objective, um, but it is okay to mention trends because that can sometimes be helpful. To remember, the presentation is all about your audience. So if there's a trend up or down that's significant, then you may want to mention it. So for example, labs were notable for hemoglobin of 9 up from 8 yesterday on admission. Uh, if there is no significant lab variation, don't mention trends. So in other words, if the creatinine yesterday was 2.3 and today it's 2.2, you don't need to say 2.2, sorry, uh, whatever, that little change of 0.1 is not significant. Or if the hemoglobin decreased from 13.2 to 13 and there's no issue of bleeding with the patient, you don't need to say that they decreased from 13.2 to 13. That's probably just lab variation. So try and avoid that type of reporting of every single teensy little change that you've noted from the day before. And if you're not sure, you can always report it and ask if it's important or not. Okay. Next, we have the imaging and procedural results. Now, you may not have this new data every day. So similar to the H&P, you want to highlight the pertinent findings noted on the radiology report. Don't read the whole thing. And um, generally, if you have new images, try to look, take a look for yourself, and that will help you get used to looking at more images. And so for uh, simple tests such as chest x-rays and EKGs, incorporate what you found into your oral presentation as well. And then we come again to probably the, you know, the whole presentation is very important, but the assessment and plan is sort of the pinnacle of the daily update. Uh, very similar approach as in the H&P presentation. You're going to summarize with a one-liner. Uh, that one-liner will describe the most relevant parts of the patient's clinical presentation, and they'll provide assessment on how the patient has been doing. So, for example, if I were to give you a one-liner, it might be, in summary, this is a 55-year-old man with a history of peptic ulcer disease and atrial fibrillation who presented with an upper GI bleed and is now hospital day two and improving clinically after endoscopic therapy. All right, so after that one-liner, we'll come to your problem list. Choose the top few active problems to present in your daily update presentation and present them in order of priority. Now, if you're still unsure of what is causing the patient's chief complaint, present the top few differential diagnoses. And remember that your differential should narrow down every day as you get more data. If the diagnosis is clear, focus on explaining your clinical reasoning to support your plan. This is an example of a um, problem list for upper GI bleed. So patient has remained hemodynamically stable and has had no additional episodes of melena. He has two large bore IVs in place and is type and crossed in case he acutely rebleeds. Since the patient is at high risk for rebleeding, plan is to observe him in the hospital for at least another 48 hours and continue current management with pantoprazole 40 milligrams IV BID. 
And since he's clinically improving and his hemoglobin is above the transfusion threshold of 7, we'll hold off on uh, red blood cell transfusion for now. And then you would go on to your problem number 2, which in this patient could be atrial fibrillation. And remember to do your research when you're formulating your plan, and after doing all that, present your plan with confidence. Now, another thing you are not obligated to do every day by any means, but you may want to do in some situation is to present a little bit of evidence-based medicine to support your plan. Uh, again, you don't have to do this on every patient every day, but it's a good way for you to learn and also for you to teach the rest of the team. Now, um, you may include in the plan section if you had a clinical question regarding your patient that you looked up and would like to share. So the timing of this little mini within a presentation presentation, if you want to call it that, is less than 30 seconds. Now, that does not sound like a lot of time, and it's not a lot of time. Um, but you want it to be quick and clinically relevant. Um, so, for example, because Debbie has really been excited about this patient that she keeps <laughs> mentioning with an upper GI bleed, uh, your clinical question might be in this patient, when should we transfuse in the setting of an acute upper GI bleed? And, you know, so I could go on to explain all this stuff about EBM, which I don't really understand very well, so maybe I'd ask Debbie to kind of go over the PICO format for presenting evidence-based medicine. Yeah, so the PICO format um, is basically the P stands for the patient or the population, the I stands for intervention, the C stands for comparison, and O stands for outcome. So the PICO format is used um, to present an article or evidence-based medicine within your oral presentation. I think it'd be most helpful to give you guys an example. So we're going to use the article that was published in the New England Journal in 2013 by Villanueva et al. titled Transfusion Strategies for Acute Upper GI Bleed. So when you're presenting this paper, you first want to introduce the study. So you could say a randomized clinical trial published in 2013 in the New England Journal of Medicine assessed transfusion strategies for patients with acute upper GI bleed. Then you would go on and present in the PICO format. So you could say... 921 patients with acute upper GI bleed were randomized to restrictive transfusion strategy or hemoglobin less than 7 or liberal transfusion strategy, hemoglobin less than 9. They found that patients following restrictive transfusion strategy has significantly decreased rates of rebleeding and mortality. And so after you use the PICO format, you want to interpret what you just presented and tie it back to your patient. Uh, you could say, while these results are not necessarily generalizable to patients with upper GI bleed specifically from peptic ulcer disease, a hemoglobin of 7 is widely accepted as a threshold for transfusion in the setting of acute upper GI bleed. Mr. Smith has no symptoms of anemia and his hemoglobin is 9 today, so thus our plan is to hold off on transfusion. And so the goal in all of this is to really make it quick, educational, and relevant to your patient. And uh, just a final tip, make sure to read your whole article if you're planning on presenting it, because you may get a lot of pimping questions on it. For sure, you may get those. And, and just to reiterate, you don't have to do a evidence-based presentation for every patient, as I said. But if you can slip one in there and it's educational for the whole team, uh, it can really make uh, being on the wards a lot more fun for you and educational for everyone. 
So just to summarize our key points in this podcast about your daily oral presentation update, uh, first of all, the purpose of that daily update oral presentation is to update the team on how patient, the patient is doing and develop the plan for that day. It's more focused and it's definitely shorter than your H&P presentation. You're going to give an opening one-liner to orient the team and your attending, depending on who your attending is, but do it unless they tell you not to would be what I would say about that. And stick to the ISOAP format, which that's the interim history and then the usual SOAP thing that you know so well and have come to love so much. And then uh, interval events uh, relevant to the patient's reason for continued hospitalization or any acute events indicating change in clinical status. And so next we have the SOAP part. So for subjective, it's basically how the patient is feeling that day. The objective includes vitals, notable changes on physical exam, pertinent labs, and imaging results. And finally, for your assessment and plan, you'll say your one-liner, have a prioritized problem list, and remember in your daily update presentation, once you've established a diagnosis, focus your clinical reasoning on developing your plan. And you can also include a short evidence-based medicine presentation to answer any clinical question you may have. And as long as it's less than 30 seconds, don't forget that. (laughs) Um, So that was great, Debbie. I wish that I had this podcast when I was a medical student because I think it would have been really helpful. But I think one thing that might be even more helpful is sometimes it's... uh, it can really move things to the next level if we have an example of a daily update. So suppose I throw you the clinical scenario you brought up, which is you have this patient in the hospital who has an upper GI bleed and they came in a couple days ago and overnight last night they spiked a fever. So maybe you could uh, come back and, oh, what do you need, about 10 seconds to get ready for that? (laughs) Sure, 10 seconds. All right, we'll give you 10 seconds, and I'm also going to time you to make sure you can do it in under five minutes. Great. Um, So no pressure at all. But let me go uh, find my uh, timer while you practice your presentation for 10 seconds. All right. Yep, I think so. Take it away. All right, so this is Mr. Smith. He's our 55-year-old man with history of peptic ulcer disease and atrial fibrillation who originally presented with an upper GI bleed. Yesterday, he received endoscopic therapy for a bleeding ulcer at the gastroduodenal junction. He also spiked a fever overnight, which I'll talk more about shortly. This morning, he complained of a new productive cough as well as pleuritic chest pain. Um, he said th- these symptoms developed progressively over throughout the course of last night. He, however, doesn't denies any dyspnea, no urinary symptoms, and no pain at the IV site. His temp- uh, Tmax was 39 degrees Celsius. Currently, he's at 38.2 degrees Celsius. Pulse is 101 blood pressure 145 over 90, breathing at 16 times a minute, and saturating at 96% on room air. In general, he was in no acute distress. He had no erythema or exudates in his oral cavity, and his heart was tachycardic, normal um, S1, S2, no murmurs, rubs, or gallops, and no JVD. 
He did have new inspiratory crackles in his right posterior inferior lung fields, as well as egophony in that same area. His abdomen was soft, non-distended, and he didn't have any suprapubic tenderness, no lower extremity pitting edema, and no erythema or tenderness to palpation of his calves bilaterally. No new rashes on skin exam, and his IV site was not erythematous and non-tender to touch. His labs were significant for a uh, white count of 14, which is up from 10 yesterday, and a hemoglobin of 9, up from 8 yesterday. His EKG this morning showed sinus tachycardia. So in summary, we have a 55-year-old man with history of peptic ulcer disease and atrial fibrillation who was originally admitted for an upper GI bleed, now hospital day two status post endoscopic therapy for a bleeding ulcer and presenting with a new fever, most concerning for pneumonia. So problem number one is fever. His temperature spiked yesterday along with his pleuritic chest pain and cough. And his uh, new crackles on exam and leukocytosis point to most likely diagnosis of pneumonia. And since he's been in the hospital for over 48 hours, this would qualify as a hospital-acquired pneumonia. Next on the differential would be uh, pulmonary embolism. And although his symptoms of pleuritic chest pain and cough could fit with a PE, typically patients with PE will present with dyspnea and less often with fever. And uh, furthermore, he has no signs of DVT on exam and no history of DVT. His well score is 1.5, which also puts him at a low risk for PE. Other things to consider in a, a patient who is in the hospital and develops a new fever are UTI and IV site infection. However, he has no symptoms of these and uh, no objective findings to support these diagnoses. So the plan is to uh, do a chest x-ray, uh, obtain sputum and blood cultures, and um, if the chest x-ray were to confirm our suspicion for pneumonia, we would start with empiric treatment for hospital-acquired pneumonia. Problem number two is his upper GI bleed. So he's been hemodynamically stable and no signs of acute re-bleeding on exam. His hemoglobin is also uptrending. So the plan is to continue pentoprazole 40 IV BID and um, continue watching him in the hospital for another 48 hours given his high risk of re-bleeding during that time. Lastly, uh, we have atrial fibrillation. He's been in sinus rhythm on telemetry in the hospital, and he was not on anticoagulation prior to admission, and his CHAS-VASC uh, score is 1, so the plan is to continu continue holding his aspirin given his recent GI bleed. Wow, that was amazing that you put that together in 10 seconds, <laughs> and it was 4 minutes and 1 second, 0.23 uh, in length, so well under our five-minute cutoff for an excellent presentation. Well, Debbie, I think that that will be really helpful to our medical students here at UCDMC and elsewhere around the country that are listening to this podcast. And I want to thank you for all your work on both of these podcasts. It's been fun working with you. Yeah, thanks for helping. And um, to our podcast audience, I hope this has been really helpful. And have fun on your medicine rotation. Yeah.